Are you ready? It's that time! Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and anyone else who happens to be watching or listening. This is Man Buns and Jesus. We are so happy to be with you today. Whenever you might be listening to this particular episode, my name is Josh Saboris. I'm a pastor at Edgewater Lutheran Church in Eastvale, California. And the other voice on, on this podcast this, this fine day is the esteemed Reverend Benjamin Oschlager. What are we talking about today, Ben? Well, Josh, we're uh, we're side questing again. Um, you might also hear the voice of a very annoying hound um, from time to time, and I apologize for that ahead of time. But uh, such is life. Um, today we are are side questing again. We're in the Book of Acts, uh, the very last chapter, um, and we're looking at Paul in Rome. Um, and specifically what Paul does in the face of, uh, all of the cultural and personal things that he's got going on around him. Um, so if you want to open your Bibles to chapter 28, we're going to start at verse 16 and just read to the end and see how Paul approaches ministry in a particularly difficult circumstance. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished uh, to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appoint, uh, appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From the morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, page turn, but others disbelieved. And, after, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived, uh, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and, all wel uh, and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's the word of God. Um, and some dog howls. Um, yeah. So, in coming to Rome, Paul is finding himself in a particularly uh, difficult circumstance. Um, as he mentioned in the text, he's being sentenced to death by his own people, um, persecuted by them, and uh, he's appealing to Caesar through his rights as a Roman citizen to just get away from imminent death but it also gives him a unique opportunity to preach the risen christ 
to a new population that has not had a chance to hear this message much, if at all. Um, and so Josh and I want to take a look today at some of the things that he does in his preaching and his teaching to appeal to this people, uh, appeal to the location that they live in, um, and to uh, speak the gospel in, in this difficult circumstance. So Josh, um, what are your first kind of gut responses to that? So I think it's it's maybe appropriate for us to give you guys a little bit like what leads up to this. So if you will recall, or maybe maybe this is new, maybe you haven't heard this uh, this part of biblical history, but Paul was a persecutor of the church, right? He it was kind of he approved of the stoning of Stephen who. I think a lot of people would point to Stephen as the first martyr and because um, Stephen was proclaiming this gospel of Jesus Christ and and Paul, who at the time was was Saul, put him to death. And then Paul had a Saul had a conversion experience that. Um, that brought him to faith and he kind of, he did a complete 180 and he started championing, 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 being a champion of English. Uh, there are too many ends there. Uh, but he, he starts supporting the Christian faith and, and going and proclaiming it everywhere. And in a lot of ways, like you can definitely looking back, see why God chose Paul to do this because Paul was exceedingly well educated uh, both religiously and kind of in a secular sense as well right he could he could argue rhetorically and and he had a lot of these skills that the disciples didn't necessarily have that doesn't mean that they weren't used in incredible ways but uh, the 12 disciples didn't have the same skill set Paul did and maybe one of his most important qualities, Paul, he was Roman in, in that he had Roman citizenship. And that, I, I think we've talked about this in the podcast before, you didn't, like, Roman citizenship wasn't just some casual thing you got because you were born in the Roman Empire. If you were in a conquered nation, if you wanted to become a Roman citizen, you had to pay an exorbitant amount of money or you have like the alternative was you had to be born into it which kind of, you, you had to be native to the homeland right to to where the decisions were made to where kind of rome ruled from and uh being the city of rome and i'm guessing probably the surrounding areas too right it'd be like if you grew up in california and the only people that gained California citizenship were those who had ties back to Sacramento. Uh, yeah. Because, you know, dumb. Anyway. Uh, so that's where Paul is. And then be, I obviously, like, he used to be a champion for persecuting the church, and now he's, hmm. he's fighting for the church. Some people, some of his former associates take negatively to this. And they persecute him, and he's going through this trial, and he makes use of his Roman right to appeal to Caesar, who's the, uh, the highest authority in the land. And that's what brings him to Rome. So kind of that's what's led Paul to this point. And like Ben said, at, it gives him an incredible opportunity to then share the gospel with Rome and with the people there. And especially here, specifically with the Jews there. Um, but God was using this situation of like he, Paul was avoiding death. That is why he ends up in Rome, because he appeals to Caesar to kind of uh, avoid, <laughs> avoid an execution. Um, <clears throat> so, and my, my first thought really because he's speaking to the Jews of Rome who may not be like they're they're not at the top of the pyramid in Rome 
They're not, right? But the fact that they're living in Rome means they are probably better off than most people anywhere else, right? It's kind of like, uh, it's not exactly the same thing, but it's kind of like even being poor in America puts you in the top 1% worldwide uh, in a lot of, in a lot of cases, right? Like even if you're not doing well in America, compared to a lot of places in the world, you are blessed. In the same way, these, the Jews may not have been doing great in Rome, but they were living in Rome. And the reason I bring that up is be, and especially the Gentiles in Rome, there was not a whole lot of motivation for them to come to, to, to become Christian. It was not socially advantageous. It was, it was definitely not socially advantageous. It wasn't legally advent. Like there was, there was no kind of objective reason for anyone in Rome to become Christian. And yet, when Paul speaks the word of the gospel, some are convinced by what he said. Some believe in Christ and in his resurrection and in, um, and in what that means for them. And the reason I think all of that is important because that's what stands out most to me when Paul goes to Rome is the fact that the gospel is so powerful that even these people who really have no need, no, no felt, no like experienced earthly need, they have no need for the gospel, still find themselves compelled by it. And kind of jumping forward to where we are today, I think sometimes we feel like we have to convince people that there's an immediate benefit to, to Christianity. And for a time, I there was, right? There, there definitely was. I, I don't know how much there is anymore. But like you see this with the prosperity gospel. There are people who say, oh, if you come to faith, God's going to make you, you know, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And which isn't consistent with scripture, first of all, may, may be wise. <laughs> Coming to faith may, might uh, help you grow in wisdom, but the rest isn't, isn't promised by any means. But there are these people across Christianity who, who kind of use different gimmicks to say like, oh, if you join the church, if you join the faith, like you're going to benefit in these specific ways and i think kind of what paul does in rome pushes back a little and he says no the gospel is enough go forward with that because that's enough to compel people um, because it's true because it's reality and because of the eternal implications of it so that's where my mind goes first is how incredible the gospel is and how it is more than sufficient to stand on its own without us adding our meaningless promises. I think just to kind of back up a couple of the things that you said there, the the like nature of the people of Rome, um, you're absolutely right that they were kind of locked in from a comfort level uh, standpoint. Um, they like okay i'm gonna go with a one odd corner of history here to achieve another one um <laughs> rome used the same kind of tactics uh that created the irish potato famine um what yeah um so during the irish potato famine the reason it was so bad was because England was importing a lot of Irish wheat and basically refused to allow the Irish to keep their own food um, because they needed it in England. So if the potatoes failed, then the, the Irish were screwed. If the potatoes succeeded, everybody was fine. Um, and Rome basically does the same thing with their grain resources. Like there's not a lot of food grown around Rome. Um, they were pretty but, good at taking stuff from other people, though. 
Exactly. It they invented. Am I pretty colonialism. good? Arguably the best in human history. They invented colonialism. Yeah, that's not even a joke. Like they literally would create colonies and places that they conquered so as to uh, to better, maintain control. Yeah, to better maintain control and and make sure that they had a consistent supply of resources. Um, and it worked for a like to did. their credit, it worked for a very very long time. Um, and also within the the Roman Empire, Judaism held kind of a weird, um, kind of hipstery vibe within within the empire, um, because it had this like interesting and out there legal system based around a religion devoted to one god who wasn't necessarily like the god of a specific force of nature he just kind of held the whole things in his hands um and so like there are some people from, from like the greco-roman world who found that appealing um and just followed it because they thought it was interesting um and because of that judaism was allowed to exist in the roman world but once the Christian aspect was baked in, once Jesus came and, and had a counterclaim to emperor of the universe, uh, then it was a no-fly zone. So there was even less than zero reason to become Christian. There was like negative reason for the Jews to become Christians. Right. Well, and for anyone who isn't familiar, like that, the, the fact that the Jewish faith was allowed to persist that was very weird because in most places the Romans came in and and they said our culture is now your culture. You are you're gonna worship our gods, your religion is is stop that. You're, yeah. you're gonna adopt our values, you're gonna adopt our beliefs. Again, and that's that's one of the ways they kind of maintained control. They made you Roman. Mm-hmm except for the the Jewish faith was allowed to kind of keep doing its thing as long as it didn't make too many waves. Again, it was a weird guy with skinny jeans, flannel, and a beanie (laughs) that's five times the size it needs to be. Um, I hate that that analogy is so accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, But within the the grand scheme of things um paul is also coming into uh, a situation where um like not just the fact that he is pushing people out of a thing that is accepted by the roman empire but he's also pushing the people out of something that's accepted by the roman empire in the heart of the like in the heart of the world where that is important um because i think one of the appeals of the jewish faith as far as the romans were concerned was that they weren't like um they were supposed to be but they weren't wildly evangelical about it they didn't share their faith with the world and expect people to pick it up if some curious onlooker was like hey what's that they'd tell them but like they weren't shoving it down people's throats or even like even serving it. it up on a spoon and saying yeah hey, you exactly can try it if you want yeah that which were i mean those are the two methods by which evangelism happens regardless of the faith there's one that's that's christian one that's not i'll let you figure that out um uh, but uh when you start making people believe that there is a counterclaim to god of the universe and a part of the Roman religion features the emperor as god of the universe. Uh, you've got problems. And Paul does run into those. I mean, heck, that's like part of the reason that Pilate eventually gave in and crucified Christ, right? It was because you can't have a counterclaim to king of the Jews above the one that Herod was given because the emperor was feeling generous. 
right? Um, so it just, Paul's really like stepping out in faith as he's doing this ministry and it's frankly pretty impressive. Yeah. And, and the more you die and I'm kind of a, I have a lot of admiration for Rome. I think they did a lot of very kind of objectively impressive things. And the more you dive into the situation Paul was stepping into with the gospel, the more you have to say like, wow, he had a lot of faith that God was going to take care of him because <laughs> uh, there, there are a lot of reasons for a lot of people to, to treat Paul negatively based on this. So kind of what we're, you say, well, this is this is all great history, or maybe you say this isn't great history. Maybe you're uh, bored to tears. If that's the case, you know, props to you for for making mm -hmm. it this far. Uh, but kind of the jump, what what lesson is there for us? Because um, I think Paul is is a great example uh, for what does it mean to be a Christian. What does it mean to be a disciple? I think we can look at a lot of what Paul did and say, okay, that's a, that's a good example to follow. And the example that he's setting here is he's he's proclaiming the gospel wherever wherever he has ended up, and that includes mm -hmm. in very difficult places. So it, as we start to transition to what is you know what does it look like for us to follow that example today? It's, it's a pretty one-to-one -one kind of thing. You proclaim the gospel wherever God put you, even if it's in a difficult spot, and maybe especially if it's in a difficult spot. Uh, one example that I can throw out is um, I've met a lot of out here in, in California. I've met, I know, a handful of Lutheran school teachers, and I also know a handful of Lutherans who are public school teachers, so Lutheran school teachers in a different way, but um, Lutheran describing the teacher instead of the school. And what is kind of fascinating to me is that the teachers who teach in the public school, which you would you would probably say, and I think this is a fair assumption, the public school system anywhere but especially in california is a difficult place to witness it's it's in a lot of ways you could say well it's kind of comparable in in some sort of way to rome whereas in, if you're in a lutheran school you're like oh well <laughs> of course you're going to witness in a lutheran school that's kind of part of the point but what's fascinating is in the anecdotal in the stories i've heard there are, there are more opportunities, maybe, and definitely more powerful opportunities to witness in that public setting, even though you have to kind of tread lightly, than there are in the Lutheran school. And it's kind of, and, and like, I, I know some people who, they did, they started out in Lutheran schools, but frankly, the public school system pays so much better out here. And they kind of, because of the cost of living, they had to move to the public system. And God put them in that place, and they witnessed in that place. So that's kind of just one example. And, you know, wherever God has put you, wherever he has led you in life, whether that is to a place of employment or to a specific group of people or to uh, your friends or where you live and your neighbors, like wherever that is, following in Paul's example, following Christ's commands would be you, sh you share where you're at and, you know, do that, do that in a way that is going to, I mean, like we talked about earlier, don't go for the throat shoving method, go for the spoon feeding method. Those are technical yeah. terms in case you're wondering, 
But Paul Paul doesn't like he doesn't start a riot in Rome. He he goes to people who are curious about it and he he explains stuff to them. Uh, and in verse 22 of the text that that Ben read, it says, these are people talking to Paul, we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it's spoken. So they're curious and he answers their questions. So in, in some of the situations, like in the public school situations I was talking about, you you take advantage of that curiosity, even though you're not necessarily like you're not standing on a street corner yelling about Jesus. You're finding opportunities where people have questions where you kind of insert and you say, well, we have some answers there. So I think when we look at Paul in Rome, that's kind of the example we see is wherever God has put you and he has put you where you are. Right. You're not going to end up anywhere without God giving, without God having a hand in it, um, you speak the gospel into those situations. And you got to be ready for that. You got to be prepared for that. And that's why we go to church. That's why we listen. That's, I mean, that's part of the reason I hope that you're listening to these podcasts is because hopefully we give you some, we give you some answers for those questions that people have. Um, but we, we stand ready to give a reason for the hope that we have so that when we're in those situations, wherever they are, we are ready and we are equipped to speak the gospel and to share the incredible things that Jesus has done for us and, and for whoever we're, we're talking to as well. Yeah. I think um, maybe an interesting parallel um would be to find oneself in a place and a culture where it's entirely antagonistic to the church. Um, like somewhere like China, um, where what exists of the church is heavily controlled and heavily censored, um, or it's limited to expats. Um, and not like people from China, the China, excuse me, China itself. Um, and it like, that brings to mind for me, um, there was an old uh, emeritus uh, member of the faculty at uh, the seminary while Josh and I were there who took a uh, six month interim in I think Shenzhen, China um and watching him attempt to gain access to the resources that like Josh and I take for granted cuz Josh and I both worked in IT in this at the seminary and um he had to go to I will say this he had to go to great lengths to gain access to resources to help him proclaim the gospel um and sometimes that was challenging because he wasn't the most tech savvy guy in the world. Um, but. Wait, wait, wait. An emeritus professor at the seminary wasn't tech savvy? <laughs> I'm to shocked. Any, to any random emeritus professor of the seminary that listens to this podcast in the future. We I love respect you, our the brothers, heck out of you. But I'm, <laughs> My response to, to any emeritus professor that listens to this in the future, we love you, but frankly, I'm kind of surprised you figured out how to play this podcast. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I won't go that far. There were a couple of you that were pretty sharp, but. Um, All I know is I I unloaded a couple. So for anyone who's missing the terms here, emeritus professor means retired. Retired with distinction. Right. So I cleared out some offices for emeritus professors and the computers that I was <laughs> removing from these offices. They still operated with like, they didn't take CDs. They didn't take flash drives. They still operated with with floppy disks. And some of them were covered in like a quarter inch of dust. Yeah, it's like that's fair. <laughs> anyway, and, so and <laughs> all of this is to say like 
when we're placed in difficult circumstances, even circumstances that are antagonistic to the church, it is imperative of us that we do what we can to proclaim the gospel. Um, and I didn't get a lot of opportunity to debrief with that emeritus professor, but in a couple of phone conversations, he he noted how interesting and how um, like refreshing it was to be constantly running into people who were thirsty for the word of God um, because they lived in a culture that was so driven by achievement. Um, I mean, the whole stereotype of the tiger mom comes from something. Um, and like, it, it wasn't just like specific people in people's lives that were driving people to achievement. Um, my, one of my cousins spent time living in China and he played pickup soccer with some university students while he was there. And, uh, he was told not to associate with them because they're slackers because they played pickup soccer. Um, mm. Yeah. Well, call me a slacker then. Yeah, seriously. Josh and I will proudly wear that badge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But like, when all you're being told ever is that you have to meet societal standards, that you have to meet standards of achievement, you have to fulfill this law of achievement, then it's so much more refreshing to hear you're a broken, sinful human being. It's okay if you don't make it. Christ has got you. Yeah, and I think one of the fascinating things is the places where the gospel is hardest to proclaim are some of the places in the world that the church is growing most aggressively. Yeah. And I think, and I haven't, I haven't thought this all, but like, I haven't really chewed on this much. So take it with a grain of salt, please. But I think part of America's problem and why the church is struggling in America mm -hmm. is because so many people take it for granted. Mm -hmm. Like it is so easy to hear that message, to, to, to connect with that stuff. So we kind of just figure, well, and I think there is a certain attitude of like, I'm, I, I don't need, like I knew people in college who had this exact outlook in life. They said, I'll probably, like, I'll go back to church after college. I'm going to have my fun for four years mm -hmm. and kind of, kind of leave the Christian ethical, whatever behind. And, you know, I'll, I'll get back to it after college. We, we don't cling to it, I think, because it's always kind of been there for a lot of us. Even, a, even uh, if we weren't raised in it, it's always like, you can find a church. It's like Rome. No matter where you are in the country, you can you can find a church within ten minutes of you. I would bet. It, for, in most places. Lot, yeah, for a lot of people, though, church or college is like uh, Rumspringa, the like uh, Amish. Uh, yeah, the Amish tradition where you're you're basically exiled from the community for a year, and uh, you determine whether or not you want to return to the community. Um, and you don't have to abide by their laws. You don't have to abide by their rules. And you you just discover, you know, is this the life that I want or do I want to return to the life of the Amish? Um, and like the Amish really drill their, uh, their ideals into people, which is why I think they have a pretty high success rate with people returning. But within the church, like, we've created a difficult context for ourselves to, to minister because we, we struggle to minister to our own people at times. We struggle to build them up. We struggle to help them grow in their faith. So when they do wander away a little bit, uh, they often don't come back. And, and then they add to the difficult cultural context that a lot of us face in terms of being able to minister. Yeah. 
So which is all kind of I mean it's kind of tangential to what our point is here, but it's it's related. At the same time, it's not. Yeah. Because we're we're still called to be witnesses in this context. Mm -hmm. Even though it's it's difficult in a different way than Rome was, it's different, it's difficult in a different way than a place like China might be. Mm -hmm. But it has its own challenges that we I think that the, the gospel is more than equipped to meet these challenges. Yeah. And we just have to have the boldness to step forward with the gospel. Yeah. And a couple of things that Paul does to um to really like help in his ministry um in this as cited by this particular text. Um one, he appeals to what they know. Um, so as he's speaking to the Jews, he appeals to prophecy, he appeals to the law of the Torah, he appeals to uh, the, the promises given to Abraham, um, and he speaks to the people in a language that they understand, which means, like in our context, um, we might need to be able to speak to the culture of our world. And that means being well-versed enough in the things going on around us that we understand them and not just understand them in the way that we want to understand them, but understand them in the way that the people kind of forming them want them to be understood. So like- Well, and at very least understand what value they are giving people. Yeah. So like, it's a, yeah, a, a dumb example of this is the word woke, right? Originally, to be woke was a good thing. It meant that you had your eyes open to the problems of society. Um, yeah, careful with that. Uh, but uh, nowadays, like, the only times that you typically here woke are from conservatives People trying who... to make fun of liberals like it, and it it's got this whole different meaning uh, of like somebody who's so so liberal they've lost the plot and that's like to me it's frustrating josh and i both come from a conservative denomination so we hear the latter usage a lot more than the, the original usage of the word woke. Um, and, it, and to me, it's frustrating to hear people use the word that way because I know they're using it basically to name call. And one, that's sinful, Eighth Commandment. Uh, like. There are, there are better ways to describe what's going on there that are less insulting. And as Luther writes, we should try and put the best construction on everything. Um, but two, that also speaks of our lack of willingness to engage with that culture in such a way that we can actually proclaim to it, right? Um, so well, we, and we need to be aware think, of what the cultural intelligence is so that we can speak to it, just like Paul did in Rome. And a different approach to that is also like be able to read the room you're in. Mm -hmm. Like you you need to be able to if you are if you are reaching people where they're at with the gospel, kind of a, a flippant way to put it is when they use the word woke. You, you got to be able to figure out whether they mean that positively or not. Mm -hmm. um, and it, like with, I, we talked about this a little bit a long time ago on our youth ministry podcast, but like, and it doesn't necessarily mean you have to use it, but at very least you have to understand it mm -hmm. or be willing to like read, read the context and kind of get it. Um, yeah, like there's a lot of slang that high schoolers that some college kids will use that yeah. like 
sounds dumb. It does. It. I. I'm not gonna beat it. Like it sounds dumb. But if you wanna, if you wanna interact with them, don't use it. First of all, it will not sound authentic. Because mm-hmm. when adults say things like that, they sound like wanna be whatever. They. It doesn't. It doesn't sound authentic. But you need to understand what they mean when they're using it. So kind of be interpreters of the context you find yourself in, Mm -hmm. Um, whatever that is. Yeah. And, Um, and from there you can like, so an example of this in, in college, I had a, an atheist friend who questioned um, the Christian doctrine of original sin and questioned why we could think that everybody is born sinful and, and in need of God's grace um and my appeal to him was um i challenge you to go a whole day without doing something for selfish ambition and he thought about it went you know what i don't even have to take you up on that you're right at some point within the next day i will break um and i i said we believe that that tendency towards self-preservation even self-comfort over the preservation of those around us um, is a side effect of the original sin. And like, he never converted or anything, but he at least was willing to like more, more firmly respect where I was coming from because he started to see the reality of what we were seeing. Um, and like, it was just a little, like we spoke to, or I spoke to the, the situation that he knew. I spoke to where he was at in life. Um, and it, it got through. Um, the other thing that I think Paul does that's really interesting uh, in this particular chapter is he really emphasizes his, his hospitality, right? He's staying in a home. Uh, he's under house arrest, which means he's he's paying for everything, whether he likes it or not. And Rome or uh, Acts notes that here. Um, but uh, he not only finds a home to stay in, but welcomes all who come to visit him at his own expense. So he goes above and beyond in hospitality, even while he's under home arrest. Um, and I think like leveraging that kind of uh, interaction with those around him really speaks to the sincerity of his faith. Like he was willing to be sacrificial with everything, including the little slice of, of, what was his that he had right he didn't have a lot of he didn't have the ability to just go outside and get away from people he didn't have the ability to uh like take a little trip out into the country he was there and he welcomed all at all times at his expense so that they could hear the word of god um and I think for those of us like in the, in the world today, when we find ourselves in, in challenging circumstances to proclaim the gospel, um, one of the most powerful things t- that we can do is to show that kind of hospitality. Um, and I think that's, that's a challenge for a lot of us in our like, you know, Western uh this is mine, freedom screaming brains, right? Like I bought this house. <laughs> I, uh, I pay for my electric bill. I pay for my own food. Um, why should I, you know, buy somebody else's meal too? Um, and yet Paul did that for people who may not listen just so he had a chance to preach the gospel. I think that's a, a strong testimony to the power of hospitality. Yeah. Which, for what it's worth, uh, Lutheran Hour Ministry did a study uh, 
think it was in the last year. It might have been within the last couple of years. It's a recent study kind of showing what are some things that spiritually vibrant households have in common. And I've like they were pretty careful to phrase it that way because it was it was a research study and they couldn't necessarily say they couldn't prove causation. Because mm -hmm. to prove causation, you have to do an experiment and mm -hmm. it's really hard to do experiments with people. Mm -hmm. I think it's, <laughs> it's really hard to do experiments with people. For anyone who's curious, when, when you're doing like research at a higher level, um, you have to ask for approval for any research you're doing. And the reason for that is the Geneva Convention. Like I'm, I'm getting ready to, I'm, I actually, I finished the first chapter of my dissertation recently. And when you get to the, you finish your first three chapters, which is your research design, and then you have to submit it to a review board. And the, the bylaws for that review board are set by the Geneva Convention that defines war crimes. So experimenting with people. That, so anyway, they did this study. And what it showed is people who showed hospitality, families that showed hospitality, and that was defined simply as somewhere along the lines of like, you had someone over to your house once a week. Like that is that you, you had people over to your house who didn't live there. Uh, the correlation between that and being a spiritually vibrant household where you were having spiritual conversations with your family members and with other people, the correlation was absurd. Just by showing that hospitality, it's kind of inviting that, that spiritual growth. So uh, have people invite someone over for that, uh, that, that playoff game. Mm -hmm. Is what I'm trying to say to you. And talk to them about Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, eventually. Spoon feed it. Spoon feed it, though. Don't force feed. Yeah. De yeah. Depending on how the game goes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, are we ready for takeaways? I feel like we're ready for takeaways. I had something, and now I can't remember what. Oh, yeah. Um, that study that you mentioned, I'm pretty sure that one of our upcoming guests was a, a part of putting that study together. Oh, cool. That's not what so, we're having him on to talk about, but. I mean, it is and it isn't. So plug, 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 plug. Um, well plugged. Thanks. Uh, yeah, let's move into takeaways. Um, Go ahead. Okay. So I think my big thing is is know your context. Um, Christ calls us to preach the gospel at all times, in all places. Um, and knowing the people that are your neighbors and the context that you live in will significantly help you in knowing the opportunities, um, knowing the words, um, knowing the language that you need to preach the gospel in. Um, I mean, it's the same reason that, like, as a whole, churches tend to not send missionaries like overseas missionaries that do like traditional missionary work usually when churches send missionaries nowadays they send professors to go train local pastors to be local missionaries in their new context um because the those local pastors are well versed in the language they know the culture they know the people they know how to proclaim christ to their neighbors um so do that within your own context become versed in your culture become versed in the culture of your neighbors so that you can be a local missionary in your neighborhood and my takeaway i think is kind of related to that and i want, want to draw attention one more time to this verse 22 and this is acts 28 22 it says we desire to hear from you what your views are um because we've we've said a lot on this podcast share the gospel where you are share the gospel with the people around you but the question might be well how do i do that well 
answer their questions. It's as simple as that. And it's okay. Like if they ask questions and you don't know the answer, it's okay to say, I don't know, right? It's better to say, I don't know than to make something up that ends up being wrong. Um, or even just say, you know what, here's what I think, but I need to do some more research. Like you can preface it and give them the best answer that you have available. But like also, if you're wrong, you then have to go back and be willing to admit that you're wrong. Yeah. So that that is my takeaway is kind of what is it? What do we mean when we say share the gospel? It's essentially you go to the people around you, you say, hey, I'm Christian. I believe in this stuff. I believe we have answers to some of the stuff you're struggling with. What are your questions? I mean, you, you might not say that directly. It may be the subtext of a conversation, but be willing to deal with people's questions. That I think is, is one of the greatest ways we can share the gospel. So with that, if, if you have shameless plug, shameless plug, I, oh, wait, I've been trying to do like prayer thoughts first. Oh yeah. We don't do those as consistently as we should. Yeah. Uh, pray for the people around you who don't know what Jesus did for them yet. Yeah. And pray for your witness to the world around you. Yeah. Um, and if you know someone who's maybe struggling about their witness or they're struggling and in kind of understanding why God has put them where he has put them, share this podcast with them. Uh, maybe it'll, maybe it'll be helpful to them. And there's no passive aggressive reason to share this podcast. So that's good this week. That's, mm -hmm. that's different. Um, but also, uh, we are on all the major podcasting platforms: Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Like, subscribe, Podcast. leave a con. Like, subscribe, leave a comment. Uh, yeah, don't leave a comment like because that. none of them have that. Uh, <laughs> you can't you leave can on YouTube. Uh, I guess you could. You could leave a, a comment on YouTube and leave a review on the other ones. Yeah, give us five stars on on like Spotify and that stuff. Yeah, that makes, that, us, that makes us like look more important. Yeah. Yeah. We can trick people into thinking we're important. And uh, <laughs> and we have a Facebook page. If you have questions and you want to reach out to us, but you don't know us personally, that's a good way to do that. If you know us personally, just use our phone numbers. That is or our email what you have them for. Yeah, yeah. Either of those work. So uh, with that, go to church this Sunday, get it, get in your word, and we will talk to you next time. Brothers and sisters, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.